I'm super excited for today's chat, as I always am. I have a gorgeous guest from America. I've got Claire McGowie. And I've known Claire for the past, I think we met two years ago as part of our spiritual psychology studies. And we haven't met in person, but it's been absolutely beautiful to be in class with Claire and to reconnect through those studies. And I'm really, we we have a lot of similar interests and I want to find out all about those when I chat with Claire today. But before I introduce and welcome Claire, I just want to read out the first little bit of her bio. Claire is a mum to three. She's an expat Brit living in America, an entrepreneur, a retired startup exec, a chief financial officer, and startup venture capital advisor. And her past experience includes skills in doing and multitasking. Her language skills, she's accomplished at the use of the English word yes. She's certified in people-pleasing. She's highly accomplished in meeting others' needs and she successfully achieved being referred to rehab for exhaustion by the age 40, trying to accomplish all of the above. Oh my goodness, Claire, we're going to unpack all of that, but welcome, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Catherine. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, I'm really, really excited. Me too. Yeah. So Claire, tell me, I'm just going to ask you, first of all, you're an expat Brit. So from England, but you're living in America. When did that, when did you move to America? I lived in England till I was 10, then grew up in Scotland, Edinburgh from when I was 10. And I moved here about 12 years ago. Ah, awesome. And living, is it Massachusetts you're living in? I'm now in Massachusetts, but I spent 10 years in New York. Oh, wow. Oh, gosh. And you're in Australia. We're moving into summer. So we'll be in summer and you're moving into your are you you'll be in winter. We're full going into winter if we're not already there. Yeah. Yeah. Super cold. Is it super cold where you? It was like 70 degrees about two or three weekends ago. And then it suddenly just dropped and it's starting to get ice outside and yeah, we're the opposite. We've been really cold here and it's just starting to warm up. So it's a later, a later summer for us here. Tell me about the change in, so you were working in corporate world. You're an executive and working with startups. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I got in, well, I had my own business. I was an entrepreneur in the UK in Edinburgh and did that for five years before I moved to New York. And then my compromise when I couldn't really start another business straight away because I had to get a visa was to work in startups doing finance which was what I did before I was an entrepreneur and my compromise was CFO for startups and I kind of got the fun and the excitement of the startup world and you know being around the fundraising and the strategy and the growth and all that fun exciting stuff without it being my company and it was great fun and I loved it and I started to realize I was always the only female on the leadership teams I was on and I was always the only parent started to change some of the some of the men I worked with started having families but I think I realized that trying to juggle both was just becoming impossible or challenging (laughs) yeah do you know what I've I've been there as well working with young kids and I know a lot of our listeners are in that space as well that they're balancing raising families and work as well. Yeah. Yeah. 
of work. I, my setup just wasn't geared up for it. I had a, you know, my husband was working as a CFO and well, he was in private equity as well. And then it was just a lot of carrying for both of us on the doing and the, yeah. the work side. So. so what happened then? So you worked, uh, so you were working in that space and found it really exciting. It sounds busy. Like it sounded started to stop be exciting when I was I started getting sick I was just constantly exhausted constantly you know there was things that I just put down to pregnancy and then then it would be the newborn phase and then I would be like well it's just you know I've got a new baby of course I'm going to be tired and I was constantly at the chiropractor then it was constantly the doctor then it was more blood tests and it was always kind of seeing either being pregnant or postpartum so there was always kind of an excuse it was always like well of course you're going to be tired and of course you're going to feel it yeah, yeah. And because how old are your children? How old are your kids? They are eight, six, and three, nearly four. Okay. So they're young. Yeah. They're little, little ones there. So you were, so you were working, but also always this tiredness and always sick, but couldn't really get a clear mystery illness. Just like somebody suggested Lyme disease or there was tests for autoimmune disease. There was always another test for something else to try and rule out, but no clear. Here's what's wrong with you and here's a magic pill that will make it all go away. Okay, so what happened then? I took a break from working full time. I decided to take a three month kind of mental health reset and decide what I wanted to do. I got a career coach, never finished that, but (laughs) in my three month career break, I found out I was pregnant again with my third. I had two at the time and I was like, oh my God, I can't like, I just couldn't go and take on another full time. CFO gig while trying to deal with that so I did some I started consulting I had a kind of small consulting practice and I did advisory for VCs and startups and it's still I just still found my energy was always low I was always trying to kind of spin plates and juggle and please people and I wasn't I was awful at saying no to anything I just couldn't do it. I just I was like, couldn't be, I couldn't be seen as not a nice person or a bad person. Or, you know, I, I remember one day when I was working for a client and one of my best friends had just died. I found out that morning and I was heartbroken and I was sobbing and I was crying. And my, my client had asked me for something that they wanted a report and some numbers that day. And I remember texting her and just saying, I'm sorry, I've just had a close friend pass and I'm just, I can't get this to you today. It'll have to be the next couple of days and and she wouldn't take no for an answer and I just remember sitting there and sobbing and the whole you know just sitting there and putting myself on my laptop and through like streams of tears I was like and I look back and I'm like I was like in so much injustice of how dare she make me work yeah yeah made me so what happened then did she did you do that or was that kind of a breaking point for you that realization before the breaking point, it was in the run up to the breaking point. And then I think when I was still, my son was my youngest, not sorry, my middle child at the time was going through some developmental delays and diagnoses. And we were in developmental pediatricians with him and I was running him around to speech therapy and yeah. occupational therapy and physical therapy and trying to coordinate, you know, just all of this stuff. And it was just, and I was going to my therapist every week and I was like, I don't know how I'm supposed to do all this. Yeah. And she'd bring, you know, she'd let me vent, she'd brainstorm with me, and she just, I think she just watched me getting more and more and more burned out, and eventually she went, Claire, she's like, she tried to get me a break at a hotel, she's like, you need to go to a hotel and sleep for two days. She's like, go tell your husband and just take a yeah. break, go to sleep, and I was like, okay. And that became a bit of a negotiation for kind of his schedule, when we could plan that, and he's like, well, maybe we can work it in, like, you know, four or three weeks from here or something, and I'm like, 
You're not hearing me. No, that's like scheduling in, having the breakdown or the the check-in before you have that. I was big, like I'd had some blood tests after, but I was desperate for some horrendous, almost desperate for like, just give me the worst diagnosis possible. So somebody can just put me into bed for, give me a sick note for two weeks or something. Uh, but nobody, I never got it. It was like, That's interesting, isn't it? That almost wishing that, that there was something that almost legitimized that you could have. So I could get a permission slip because I wouldn't give myself a permission slip. It's like I needed that permission slip to be able to take a break and stop driving myself and trying to keep everything spinning. Oh my gosh, like what you're sharing there, that sort of putting other people's needs ahead of your own, like I'm in the lead up to, to things. And then when you start looking after yourself, it's just like, oh my gosh, when can I even schedule this in? I'm working with a client at the moment who sounds very, she could be your twin sister. I think, and I think she could be your twin sister. <laughs> it's I just I think it's so much more common than people give credit for or acknowledge. Yeah, and I think also, and it's probably true for men too, but I know it's true for a lot of women about that busyness of just keeping all the plates spinning in life and how to do that. And often the the plate that falls is our own that we're we're so busy looking after others that we, or the feeling that we have to look after them, that often our plate's the one that drops. Completely. And I think it's it's conditioning as well and, you know, intergenerational. And I never saw my parents stop and take a break. I never saw my parents take care of themselves or put themselves first. It was a mentality of you you rest when your work's done. And for me, the work list or the to-do list just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I was like, I couldn't ever give myself permission to just stop because there was always something that had to get done there was the list was getting bigger and the bigger the list got the more stressed I was just trying to hold it all together yeah do you remember um, I'm just curious do you remember your self-talk then like what you would tell yourself yeah it was constant victimized victimhood you know this is so like I wish somebody could just see how much I was carrying like it was just a need to be seen it was like if I could, if somebody could just get it, they'd understand and they'd be able to give me, I don't know, tell me how impossible it was what I was trying to do. I kept searching for the magic solution. Like I kept telling myself I was doing it wrong. Like other mothers must be able to do this. You know, there must be a, a the playbook that I just haven't got the right. You know, somebody hasn't given me it. If I just find the playbook with how to do it and balance it all, then I'll figure it out. That's so common I think and I've experienced that as well it's just like am I doing it right I don't know what I'm doing it feels like I'm making this up as I go along and I feel like I'm doing it wrong it occurred to me that it just wasn't possible what I was trying to do I was just you know I was living in Manhattan in New York City it's an you know it's an energy of go 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 it's you know it's just you're surrounded by people who are all kind of on a similar treadmill and all trying to prove their unworthiness and be somebody and keep everything going and you're not in an energy where there's any room to kind of just pause. Actually that's interesting I I haven't been to New York but the way you've described that is how I would imagine it as well. So what happened did you get some time like tracking back to scheduling in a break for yourself did you get to have that break? I 
I tried to schedule a two-night break in a hotel to sleep and just recover, you know, just put myself back together when I was so burned out. And then eventually my therapist realized that wasn't happening. And she's like, look, you, you've got to go to rehab for exhaustion. And I was like, what? I was like, you can go to rehab for exhaustion? <laughs> I was like, that's a thing? She was like, yeah. I was like, what do they do? She's like, they'll let you sleep. They'll let you get lots of rest. <laughs> wow. So your um, kids would have been really little. You would have had a... My youngest was less than a year. He was maybe... 10 months my middle was two my oldest four I think four or five so what happened in rehab for you I didn't I didn't end up going but being given that permission slip that almost like validation or that somebody was seeing me for how broken I was and there was really a way that I could go and there was somebody that could help me it almost just opened up space for okay something has to give something has to stop something has to change and I did, I phoned the rehab place. I was looking at, I was all set for going. I told my husband, I was like, he came home from work early for the first time ever. I was like, oh my God, he's Also, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's almost like the permission slip that you got almost had this flow on effect that others could see that you're exhausted. They probably could see it anyway. I think, I mean, you could, looking back at pictures of myself, I was like skin and bone. My eye was just like, I was emaciated looking. I was just gone. I was... There was no life left in me. Mm, that's like, I was sitting out of bed in the morning and I, I, my body was in so much physical pain. It, like, they didn't know if it was fibromyalgia or I couldn't, you know, whatever. I was on my hands and knees crawling out of bed for the first few minutes every morning. I was in so much pain, I couldn't walk. Oh, wow. I'd go and get my kids out of bed. Like, when I heard them crying, I'd have to just crawl because I couldn't put weight on my feet. I was in so much pain. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that amazing how the body like the body tells us, <laughs> the body tells us, the mind tells us, sometimes we don't listen, do we? Sometimes we don't pay attention. Or like you said, needing that permission slip to. An official permission slip that was, um, here's your sick note, here's what you've got, here's yeah. a permission slip to rest or, you know, do less or, I don't know. So how did that change then once you were kind of given that permission slip? How did life start changing for you? Well, I knew I had to do something and I, it was either rehab or something else. And I was, I ended up doing a process called the Hoffman process, which was my alternative to rehab. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's like a seven day, you go off the grid, you hand in your cell phone, you don't get it back for seven days. There's no outside contact with the world. There's no contact with your kids. You're just in the immersion, in the process. So where did you do that? Were you, did you go somewhere to do that? Or was that just part of the? Connecticut. Yeah, it's residential. You're in, you're in for seven days. Do you know, it, it gave me such a, a reset it really helped me I fell in love with myself sounds crazy but I didn't know what self-love was you know if somebody said self-love to me before that I'd have probably been like yeah I'll go and get a massage or I'll get a pedicure and I didn't really get it so I, I came out just glowing of compassion for myself compassion for my, my my kids my parents my you know everybody in my life it was just a, an elevated state I came out in wow and just a massive acceptance for how cruel I'd been to myself and how much I'd been trying to do that wasn't humanly sustainable. Wow. Tell me more about how, because a lot of people, I talk a lot about self-love and how you go about that. What was sort of the process, Claire, to get to that stage? Because it does sound like it was a little bit of a, a rehab for you. It was like that reset. Yeah. And it's, it's funny, it's like the, the one thing about the Hoffman process is that nobody actually talks about what goes on in there. So 
people that do go into it have a kind of no expectation type experience and some of it is a bit wacky it wouldn't make sense (laughs) (laughs) it's basically a very curated orchestrated journey of self-discovery that takes you through an identification of all of your patterns that you you have kind of identification of where you got them from like the pattern of controlling procrastinating people pleasing and it takes you on this kind of journey through like acknowledgement of what your childhood experience was you know letting go of any anger frustration around things that weren't so perfect you know in some perfect idealism world and then it takes you through this it takes you up then through compassion and forgiveness and then it brings it back to you and allows this beautiful expression compassion forgiveness self-forgiveness and ultimately it just it doesn't it doesn't tell you you have to find self-love but the kind of aftermath of it is you find self-love yeah do you know I love that so much and it's about really understanding who you are at your core and I could imagine that you were so busy before that that wasn't even a priority for you to to take that time it, it just it's, it was a massive paradigm shift for me I just I released so much it, they call it 10 years of therapy in a week so I let go of so much there was like expression there was anger you know expression stuff and a somatic type of expression and it was very raw and very a lot yeah, of tears yeah. and a lot of you know, very healing and very I just came out feeling very light and energized yeah and I think it wasn't my kind of I came out almost a bit naive or kind of obnoxious or like I've, I've got this I'm sorted now you know kind oh, okay. of. <laughs> yes that maybe that false sense of security around what you've been through but that's that sounds like a positive experience to be able to unpack who you are and really get to know who you are and also the forgiveness for me is a big piece in self-love I think myself included but a lot of people that I know and work with very critical and very judgmental of self and you know sometimes of others but it's about forgiving the the way that I've spoken to myself the way I've treated myself and that compassionate self-forgiveness I find that's a real there's a real kind element about being kind to myself is part of self-love for me and really acceptance it's about accepting myself as I am without the yeah but or the if I only did this differently it's about that true acceptance of who I am that's where my self-love you know I, I kind of I don't know if struggle's the right term but I'm a bit like you too self-love yeah sure I, I, I spend some time for myself and I go get my hair cut and but it's actually for me it's much deeper than that and it's really I, I did some work you know mirror work um you know from Louise Hay when you just look in the mirror of a morning and just look into your eyes in the mirror and I would say to myself I really love you and the first times that I was doing that I'd go "Mm, yeah I don't know it just didn't feel right and then it was just this continuation and then there was one day that I just went actually I really love you I really 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 and it was almost like I could feel like you were saying this lightness and this yeah it was beautiful it was beautiful but that's only been the last you know, recent, probably 10 years, like I'm 56. That, that's, that's only been the last recent 
sort of the last 10 years or so of my life that I've been doing that. So my, my goal is if we can share some tips with people, it might help. You know, everybody's got their own journey, but if we can sort of give some, you know, pearls of wisdom that maybe people don't have to go down our paths. Yeah. Yeah, and I will say that, that for me, the Hoffman process, it was amazing and it was a paradigm shift I needed right then, but I realised coming out of it, I, I didn't change enough in my life. Like I kind of went back to the same environment and the same triggers and the same to-do list and the same life. And before long, I was, you know, finding myself pretty much back in the depths. Of, so I then had to do the, the real work, which was how do I create a sustainable way of finding that, you know, compassionate way to live and wholehearted living as I kind of call it so what does that look like for you how do you do that well I can tell you I had to completely like just let go of my to-do list and not live and die by that I used to measure myself on how many things I got off my to-do list before Mm. I went to bed I'd still be in bed on my phone sometimes being like and now I just I literally I almost laugh at myself I'm trying to get validation from that and I have to rethink how I get validation and get my you know high fives myself, like going for a walk every day out in nature in the woods, do that every day, high five myself for that. Mm. Mm. Before, you'd be like, oh, what a waste of time. Who do you think you are going for a walk? And now it's like, well done. If you did one thing today, you drop the kids at school, you go out for a walk, you know, and I'll do that before scheduling any clients, before emails, before anything. That's, um, it's almost like your priorities have shifted. And I've got, I used to, I used to always feel I couldn't say no to scheduling, to clients. I'd always try and jam more in than I physically had. I had to, one, one good awareness trick I did, I think I did this a couple of years ago when I was doing executive function coaching as a client. I thought I was still on track of if I can just figure out how to maximize my time, I'll be able to do everything I want to do. And I, I had, like, it was almost laughable now looking back at that mm. stuff. I got a whole game wrong. Like, I don't want to do all that stuff. But I did this analysis, this was my CFO hat on, trying to move into this new way of living. And I was like, I took all of my things I had to do in the week or the month or the day, and I put them in a spreadsheet, and I put all the times of everything. And then I was going to do my ideal kind of, you know, budget of how I was going to spend. And I realized that all the things I was trying to do were literally double the amount of available hours I had outside of sleep time. And this really annoyed me, and I was just like, oh. And I must have sat there with the spreadsheet, honestly, for two weeks wrestling, you know, maybe even longer back and forward, like what I could cut out, what I could give up. And it was brutal. But seeing it on, you know, a spreadsheet, which was my old way of doing it, literally, there was no getting around it. Like I was constantly trying to do double what I had physical human capacity to do and stuff had to give. So I got really good at learning to just accept I can't do the 150 things I want to. That's a really important bit, accepting that you can't do it all. I, again, I have experienced that, not so much now, but a lot of, a lot of my clients are experiencing that and they feel that they have to do it all and you can't. So I, that, that sounds like a really interesting and powerful exercise just to sort of look at how long things actually would take and get a different perspective it was not enjoyable at all it was brutal and it was like there was no fun coming out of it it was just sitting there with going oh what do I have to give up what am I wrestling with it but it was so worth I needed to go through that and I have to do that every now and again like when I suddenly find that things are creeping in and I and I almost have to give myself one in one out mentalities like I got I went I've gone through periods of getting I love training I love you know personal development I love 
and I always feel like I have to, I can't just experience something like I couldn't, for example, I'm trained to be a heart math mentor. I couldn't just, you know, be a client of a heart math mentor coach and learn the heart math. I have to go and, you know, do the mentor training or, you know, same applies to probably four or five different modalities. And I had to get a bit brutal with myself and be like, no, you can, you can experience these things as a client and you can give yourselves an hour a week, but you are not going to go and do training on, you know, this and this. You want to do a training, but finish this one first and then you can start the next. Oh, wow. So it sounds like some self-discipline there as well. And also maybe a bit of a need to, like you're putting some extra pressure on yourself about needing to go and become accredited in these things instead of just maybe experiencing some. It's it's like the drive that I used to have working in, you know, finance, corporate and startup world. It was always do more, do faster, do more. And I've had to take that and reverse it and like prize myself on doing less and it's a complete reverse engineering on how my brain has been conditioned to work yeah yeah I've experienced that prior to COVID like I was busy I was busy really busy in life and I was sort of saying to myself I need to slow down and a little bit like you I didn't do the spreadsheet analysis but I just was going you know this is not sustainable I need to slow down and I need to look at a different way of working and then COVID hit and my business just stopped. And I was just like, holy shit, that's not what I was wanting. I didn't want to just completely stop. You know how the universe sends messages in funny ways. And it was just like, oh, my goodness. So for a couple of months, I was just like, I- I've got no work. I've got zero work. And I was really in this panic stage. And then I went, you know what? This is a great opportunity to actually do what I was wishing that I was going to do is to look at how I was going to redo my work. And then once COVID sort of was upon us for a couple of months, things did change and my work picked up, but it was a very, very different pace. And I've been able to, I don't know if it's 100% sustaining it, but my I've been not so busy and I've been probably achieving much more. So it's how by slowing down and being in that being energy instead of the doing energy, yeah. I've actually achieved more I think and I felt much more peaceful about it oh I believe it I believe I used to my goal was always that it was the do have be mentality if I do more then I'll have the kudos of the title or the recognition or the money or the whatever it was and then I'll be happy and fulfilled and it was always constantly I'll be happy when or I'll be fulfilled when or I'll be when it was like when it was a hamster wheel there was never any it never got there. It was always the next thing or the next thing. There was always something. I, so now I've just accepted that it's what you've just said. It's I have to be, I have, I can choose to be in that energy and feel enough yeah. and feel yeah. happy and feel uplifted and, you know, energized. And, and by doing that and getting into that energy, you know, making that my priority of my day before I go and try and do, you know, a session with a client or, you know, open my emails or anything, it just, the rest flows. Yeah, and it's yeah. like it's just also back to front, but we're just we're taught it's the other way of the do more, have then be. And you probably it's have the kids noticed a difference, or I maybe think, definitely. I mean, it's hard to because they're growing and they're in different developmental phases anyway. But yeah, I mean, they they get a totally different version of me now than they got pre, say, kind of my crash and burn and wake up. Yeah, probably a bit more quality time with them and. Yeah. 
things instead. I, I remember when my kids were little, oh my gosh, it was just like, come on, let's go, go, go. And just trying to manage all their sports and my work and drop off and pick up and all the the things. And I even, I was saying to a girlfriend just these last couple of weekends ago, I don't know how I packed everything in. Like when the kids were little, I was sort of the, the primary taxi driver for them um, in the family and getting them from events. Yeah, yeah. And I was doing a lot of activity myself and my work. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness, I don't know. I, I did it, but I'm, I can't keep that pace up now. I don't want to keep that pace up now either. That's a, a very different energy for me. Yeah, I'm just I'm accepting that the more I overscheduled them with, you know, activities and running around, which I've gone through periods of doing, all I'm teaching them is you have to be busy all the time. And then when they're, you know, adults, they're not going to be OK just sitting and being without yeah. yeah. And it's about breaking that cycle, isn't it? It's about breaking the cycle. And I, you've done some, a lot of work with uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza. And for, and that's one of the, that's one of the transformational things that's really helped me yeah. in the last two years. Yeah. What was that? Because some people, so for those people, Joe Dispenza, what sort of things have you, like, I love his work and the breaking the habit of being yourself is kind of the model that I use in life, but also with my coaching as well. So tell me what, what you've done through that process, Claire. I've done, I've read Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. He has a process in the back of that that mm. you can do, which is a five-week kind of self-guided discovery journey, which was incredible. I used that at the start of this year to let go of one of my patterns I was working on, which was fear and, you know, the amount of healing I got through doing that. And anyone can do it, you know, if you just commit to it he's got I've done his online progressive and intensive retreat which anyone can buy I think it's 299 dollars it's 25 hours of online training but it's so worth it wow wow I've I've done that twice now because I just wanted to redo it with a couple of friends and just re-experience it and I got a different awareness the second time doing it I've done three of his live in-person retreats two advanced workshops this year and an advanced follow-up workshop um, which were all incredible. I can't, I could talk for days about those. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like a, some people have called it a spiritual rave. <laughs> but the, the vibration and the energy through the retreat just gets, it lifts and it lifts and it lifts. And I had, you know, lots and lots of people have these crazy, you know, healing or just yeah, experiences. Yeah. And I had my own too. So I felt energy moving through my whole body. I like, my head was doing these weird things in meditation. It was jacked back. My mouth started opening. I was like, I was like, what's going on? Like, it was like my body was doing its own thing. Wow. I can't, like, I just can't explain it. But the, I got such a release. I felt energy moving through me. And I, the, I, I got all the pain back. I had the physical back pain, the fibromyalgia type stuff, the chronic fatigue syndrome. All the stuff that I kind of let go of with that Hoffman retreat, it all crept back with living the way I was living. And then at a Joe Dispenza retreat, I had it all go again. Oh, wow. And do you know what I'm hearing there is, and I say this a lot too, when we're doing any sort of personal development, self-discovery, we don't do it once and then that's all sorted. It's like hygiene. We don't have a shower once and then we're clean for the rest of our lives. We've got to keep working at it. You know, it's really becomes a, a daily lifetime practice to be able to sort of keep in that space, but also what you were sharing, Claire, around being in the energy of like-minded people. 
for me, that is just like I'm very discerning with who I hang out with and who I want to be in presence of because I want that. I want more of that. And we find that through our the spiritual psychology classes that we're doing, just being in that energy of like-minded people who are, you know, just wanting to be the, the best versions of ourselves. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing from you there too. That just I, it was one of, yeah, I love being around and just being able to talk to so many incredible people. And I just I've lost the I've lost the will and any desire to just have small time idle chit chat with anyone these days. I yeah. just have no in it. Do you know, I'm a bit like that too. I, I still do that, but I do some, I'm better able to manage myself in those spaces, like where I can choose not to be there. But sometimes in life, I can't choose not to be there, but I've been better able to manage that internally, I think. What, what's some of your daily practice now? So what does your day sort of look like? You said you go for walks in the walk morning. I try and most days do a Dr. Joe Dispenza meditation. There's also two pieces of the Dr. Joe Dispenza work that um, just I couldn't just accept the Joe Dispenza work. I had to kind of go the next level behind yeah. it. So yeah. there's two pieces of his model that I love, which are the heart math. So I said I trained in the heart math, and that is incredible. And just even being able to do some heart coherence, you know, every day brings my energy up, gets me into a state of more presence. So that's really big for me. There's another piece of his model, which... I'm also training in, which is open focused awareness training, which is this concept of how we spend most of our days, most of us, all of us, if not hyper focused on one thing, we get this very narrow focus. And it's not, if you look at animals out in the wild, they tend to be much more, you know, in between naps and resting, but they've always got this open kind of focused awareness on. So if something is coming up to them, they can, they're aware of it and they can switch from this open focus into this hyper narrow focused and be on alert if they need to be. But humans have become very just narrow, focused on all the time. So the open focused awareness concept is retraining the brain to sit back into this state of open focused awareness. Um, And it's it's one of the foundation pieces of Dr. Joe Dispenza's meditations. But I really struggled with it initially through his work. I was like, what is this? He does these meditations of like, imagine the space between your eyes in space. And I'd be like, what the? (laughs) Yes. In space, what? Yeah. So it's, it, I wasn't like a natural student that just dropped into his work and was like, oh, I get it, I love it. Um, it's taken me like lots of, I had to get, I got a coach who'd done a lot of his work and she was one of his corporate trainers and just. Wow, you know, you've like, really immersed yourself into, you've really immersed yourself into it, haven't you? I, I find I get these blocks with some things and I procrastinate yeah. or can't get through a barrier and when I really feel like my my soul is drawing me to something, I'm like, we have to get through this barrier, no matter but, what it takes. Oh, I love that. I love that. And it sounds like a lot of retraining going on for you. Oh, yeah. It's like neural rewiring. Yes. Constant. Yes. It just has to become a foundation. It can't just be something I do in meditation or doing a you know mental rehearsal type meditation and then go back into the world of being triggered and being angsty about things. It's just it's bringing it into my day to day being yes Um, yeah and it just integrating it into who you are so not just a theoretical concept that I'll just do this activity tick done that you've really immersed yourself into that being very different to how you were operating like it's a full immersion knowing I'm not going to be perfect knowing that you know I've spent the first 40 years of my life you know 
being stressed and yeah trying to do too much and reactive and you know how people think it's normal to live unless you want to go and get you know put on medication for the rest of your life yeah which I've got no judgment to but I still I still find myself falling into kind of can you know old neural pathways and having to go okay that was a signal you know have compassion do some work and I've, I've got this lovely tool I do I got from the Hoffman process actually called recycling which if I've gone through an, ex- an event where I've found myself with a pattern triggered frustrated angry reactive something that I'm letting go of afterwards I'll go and find quiet space for five minutes and do this little neural rewiring process where I basically put myself back in that energy and and then I'll pull the pattern out of my body and I'll like morph it change it rub it in my hands visualize the pattern changing and then imagine this light energy going back into my body and then put myself back into the experience with this new way of being and I like redo it I do a do-over naturally my instinct is to be completely to show up completely differently in the do-over and it's so funny it's like doing that mentally literally you do that enough times it starts to you know reprogram neural pathways so there's more worn ones with the alternative way of doing it oh I love that and the rewiring our brains you know the neuroplasticity just fascinates me so much about how we can rewire our brains we can do things differently but we can't we have to keep practicing we need it to become a habit we need to be able to recognize when we're kind of forming those old patterns when we're slipping into the old patterns pause when it's happening and become the observer instead of being in it like yes pause second for one second two second three second whatever it is and yeah, that's one of been a real big game changer for me is about recognizing the patterns and just even stopping and having that pause and being the like that neutral observer of what's going on for me. And often that's enough for me to just go, oh, OK, yeah, you're in that you're in that old pattern. Sometimes it's the next step to say, oh, why is this happening? Why am I in? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And I get some insights from that quite often sometimes I don't but then it's like what do I want to be doing or thinking differently and so it's about actually breaking that cycle like Joe Dispenza says you know breaking the habit of being yourself it's about recognizing the the patterns having the pause and then doing something different so that sounds like you've got some techniques around how you do that personally yeah and it's it's taken me a while to get there but it's so needed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And tell you, so you're working as a coach now. You've got your own practice as a coach. Is that right? I think I've, I've reduced, I've scaled it down from what it was because I made a conscious decision that while my kids are this age, I want to have that presence and connection with them. So I don't do as much coaching as I want or I'd like, but yeah. I made a conscious decision that this is the amount that works for me. So I'd say I've got a boutique practice. I've got like, I've got a wait list for clients. I keep it small, I keep it manageable, and I balance my training because I'm just still doing so much personal development stuff. Yeah, and and you mentioned before about that wholehearted living. That's exactly what you're doing. That's what I sense from you, and when we connected, I remember you talking about that, and I, you have immersed yourself into it, and you certainly um, are living what you, um, living the practice. Yeah, and I, I, I took on, I had too many clients for a bit and it was getting to the point that the scheduling and the coordination, yeah. and I'd hired a, 
I had an assistant, virtual assistant working for me as well. It was like, it was just, it was getting too much. Yes. I was like, why am I doing all this? Like this isn't, I'm not living the version of myself that I'm trying to help others to find. I'm just, I'm not being true. Yeah. Isn't that true? Like I have often said to my clients, do as I say, not as I do. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, here's the, here's the theory, here's the practice, but in life, I'm not doing that. And it's about recognising that as well, I guess, recognising the patterns. Could I ask you, with the heart math, you you were saying that part of your practice is connecting with your heart. Is there something, a little way that you could share with the listeners, or maybe I'm asking too much there, but just for some of our listeners, this will be new for them as well. Basic techniques of the heart math is just a quick coherence technique, and it's so easy. We can do it together now. Yeah, sure. So you close your eyes. It's probably easy. You can learn to do it with your eyes open, but... Close your eyes, put your hand on your heart, just to focus your energy there on your heart centre. And start to take a few deep breaths in and out. And steady it to a consistent breath of like five, six count in, five or six count out. And as you're breathing, imagine the breath is coming in and out of your heart centre. Don't overthink it, just feel it, visualise it, imagine it. Imagine drawing the breath in and out of your heart centre as if you're breathing in and out from the centre space in your chest. And now bring to mind an elevated emotion. Bring it into your body. It could be love, compassion, gratitude, joy. I use an experience with my kids, or for a while I used the birth of my kids just to bring that memory of that beautiful energy of joy and gratitude and love. Something that elevates you. And keep breathing in and out of your heart centre. Whenever you're ready, you can take a couple of last breaths. Wiggle your fingers, wiggle your toes, and come back to the room. Oh, I love, love, love that. I had a beautiful image of our family when we were travelling in Italy, and it's just one of my favourite, all-time favourite family memories. So much fun and joy and, yeah, just beautiful. So I've got that in my heart now so that was lovely our body doesn't know the difference our heart doesn't know the difference between a real experience and a visualized you know thought experience yeah and we keep thinking we have to go and do these you know things to make us feel happy and it's we've got access to just the visualization or the experience from a memory or a yeah anticipation of a thing to happen oh my gosh claire time just goes way to fast. Thank you. I really loved catching up with you today. Thank you very much for that. We've got details if people want to reach out to Claire. And one of the things, Claire's not overly active on social media, so she's really living her essence. But we do have details of if you do want to reach out to Claire in the show notes um, where you can contact her. So thank you. Oh, hugs and big, big happiness to you. Yeah. I love this.